from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. As 2015 winds to a close, the Gators are looking to finish the year strong both on the court and in the classroom. Finals week is a challenging time for the Orange and Blue squads, especially over at the basketball complex, where both Mike White and Amanda Butler have to balance academics with athletics as they prepare for important non-conference games during this critical week of exams. This week, we're planning you firmly in the heart of the basketball facility as we talk the latest in men's hoops with FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry and learn about the red-hot women's squad with head coach Amanda Butler. We'll also have another chance for you to win some last-minute holiday shopping bucks at the online Gator Sports Shop with a Gator Tales trivia challenge. But first, Florida nearly toppled the nation's top-ranked team last Saturday with a valiant effort that came up just short against Michigan State. Afterward, while Mike White was quick to point out that there aren't any moral victories for his club, sophomore guard Chris Chioza says last week's losses to the Hurricanes and Spartans provided some valuable lessons. We learned that when you're on the road, especially against great teams, that you got to come out at the beginning of the game and the second half, come out hard and aggressive. We came out slow against Miami, and they got up on us, and we had to play catch-up the whole game. Second half, we came out slow against Michigan State, allowed them to go on an 8-0 run when it was a tie game. So we had to play catch-up with them again, and it just, it's just tough to do that on the road. You seem to be really zoned in, especially in the second half against Michigan State, hit some big threes to get the team back in the game. Talk about your approach in that second half and how you really got in the zone. Well, we were struggling from the three-point line. We ran a pick-and-roll play for Case, and I just lifted up and found an open spot, and he got me a wide-open shot, and it went in, and that kind of started us offensively, and it got us in a little groove. And seeing the ball go in the basket for me helps my confidence, and I know like if I hit one, I can heat up and hit a couple. So Casey kept finding me. Doe found me once, and we was able to get a little run going on offense. And then Doe hit a couple threes, and it just it just boosted us. I know the coaches have talked about the different ways they're trying to get your shooting numbers up overall as a team. So talk about some of the things that they've done to try and get those numbers back to where they belong. Well, yesterday we had a, a different practice than usual. It was like the first practice we had like that all year. It was basically like an offensive practice with no defense and then straight shooting drills and execution and working on your jump shot, getting the same form every time, getting your confidence up, and everybody shot it really well today in practice. And you can see that translated from yesterday, and we just try to get that to carry over in the game. And he never gets on us about shooting shots, even if you're not shooting a good percentage. If it's an open shot, he wants you to shoot it, and I think that boosts everybody's confidence. Coach White said from Michigan State, and there's no such thing as a, a moral victory when you go on the road and you lose, but how beneficial was it to take on number one at their place and be right in the game and battle the, the way that you did? That just lets us know that we can beat anybody, compete with anybody, even when we have a bad offensive night. Our defense is so good that we shut the second-best team down, scoring offensively in Miami. We held them to 60-something points. We held Michigan State to, like, 50-something, and they're the number one team in the country. So we just know that no matter how bad we are on offense, we can always still win a game with our defense. And that's something people really noticed about the way you guys played against Michigan State, just diving for loose balls, three, four chances per possession, and just that fight being constant. How much of that attitude and approach do you feel like has come from this new staff? I feel like the attitude all comes from the staff. We had a little bit of that uh, last year, a few games, but it wasn't consistent. This year, I think everyone's 
everyone knows that our offense is struggling right now. So that energy, getting loose balls, transition buckets, anything we can get is going to help us get some points. That's what we need. So everybody knows we just got to hustle, and especially on the offensive glass and getting loose balls, 50-50 balls, diving on the floor, jump balls, everything. We just got to get everything we can. Having a staff with so many former point guards, guys have experience at the position. How has that helped you grow as a player? Well, it's helped me a lot. They know what to look for, like when we're running offense uh, from the guard spot. So like if me and Casey miss a man open, they know because they've done it. They just tell us to probe a little longer and read the help, man. Just find the open man and stuff like that. And they even help us on defense too, like guarding the post. Like we get switched on a big man, acting like we're going front and then just slip for a steal or something. Just small, simple things like that that like other coaches might not know because they never played that position. This is such a young team this year. Where does the leadership come from when you have a group of so many young players? I feel like it comes from the older guys like Dodo and Ibuna and Casey just because they had a little bit more experience. And Murph, Murph's a big leader on this team. He's probably the most talkative, get people in going before the game. Him and Brandon probably talk the most and John. But the leadership, it all depends on Doe's mentality into the game that everybody really feeds off of Doe. So when he's going, the whole team is going. When you look at your personal growth from year one to year two, how do you think you've improved the most as a player? I say I've improved most on my talking on the court and being more of a leader. I still got a long way to go. But last year, I didn't have as much say-so as I do now just because I was a freshman. Now i got another year. People know that I know what I'm talking about. They know I understand the game, so they listen to me. You came from relatively far away, Memphis, Tennessee. What were the factors that brought you here to UF? The main factor was Coach Donovan, and then I loved watching them play on TV when I seen them. And I was always kind of like, man, I wish I could play at Florida. I always kind of wanted to stay home, too. But when they offered me, I was like, yeah, I don't think home really going to be as much fun. Not the greatest experience as Florida playing up with Coach Donovan. And I was really close with Coach Pelfrey. Two bonds right there I really liked. And Coach Donovan, with all this experience, and he played in the NBA, that really was like the pulling factor of me leaving. And I'm glad I made that decision. I've been happy so far. Since you came here because of Coach Donovan and Coach Pelfrey, what has the new staff done to get you to buy into what they're selling? They've been honest with us from day one. Didn't promise anybody any minutes, no spots. They made us come out here and earn it. It just let us know from the beginning what they expected. That got us on the right page with the coaches right away. You mentioned watching former Gator teams play, and that made you want to come be a part of it. Were there any specific players that really stood out to you and guys you said, ah, I want to go play like that guy? Of course, uh, Scotty Wilbekin. I've probably seen him the most because they recruited me, and they had a great year before I got here, a great two years. So I've I seen him play the most. But I remember when um, Irvin Walker was here and Kenny Boyden, and I remember watching them and Rosario. I seen like they had small guards, but they always was great playmakers offensively and defensively. So I just always envisioned myself being like that um, on both ends of the court. I want to go back to Memphis here. Everybody knows about Elvis. They know about Beale Street. What are some cool things about Memphis that people don't know that you wish they knew more about? We got the best barbecue and, and chicken wings in the world. That's what I eat pretty much every day when I'm home. We got uh, on the river, the Memphis Bridge. It's in the uh, shape of an M. It's pretty cool, and it lights up at night. And um, they got, like, you know, like a ski lift, how they take you to the top of the mountain. They got one of those that go across the river. They have concerts out there um, on Mud Island. It's like a big theater, like, just in the middle of the river, and it's pretty cool. And um, the FedEx Forum where the Grizzlies play, it's pretty cool to go in there and play. I played in there once in high school. It was real fun. You mentioned the barbecue in Memphis. Now, you, you swear by Memphis barbecue. So what is so different about Memphis barbecue that Florida barbecue, that Georgia barbecue, that nothing else can touch? I, I don't know. I don't know what they do to it. <laughs> I don't know if it's the seasoning or just how they cook it, but it just like fall off the bone and it's, it's great. I ain't, taste, I ain't had nothing like that except for at home. When people see you on campus, D-Rob is usually always there next to you and vice versa. So what is it about that relationship that's so special? Um, me and him and Brandon are uh, probably, we're the three closest because we came in together. And so 
we met each other before we got here, like camps and everything. We had that bond because I kind of helped get them here. I was the first one to commit, so I just kind of convinced them to come with me. And ever since then, we've just been close. And we stayed in contact before we got here and um, played, like, a couple all-star games together before we got here. And we just kept that bond and we, like, playing together. And we just became, like, brothers. So, like, when you see us on campus, people call us Chi-Rob because <laughs> we're always together. Yeah. It's just uh, a great bond we got. They call you Chi-Rob because you're known as Cheese among your teammates. Where did that nickname come from? When did that start? I don't know when it started. I don't, like, nobody ever called me that until I got here. I guess they got tired of saying my last name. <laughs> nobody calls me Chris either, so I used to just get called like Chi Chi, anything, and they changed it to Cheese and it just kind of stuck, and I liked it, so it fit. What's on your wish list? What presents you most want to get before the year's over? The hoverboard. Well, well, a hoverboard, really? Coach White let you guys roll around in hoverboards? Yeah, Casey got one. I did that once. It was my first time, so. But I did pretty well on it, so I think, I think I'm going to get one of them for Christmas. If I don't get it, I'm going to go buy it. What else do I want? Of course, some shoes. I got to keep keep some shoes. I got to get some shoes for Christmas. That's about it, though. And a little bit of money. That's right. Simple. Final thing for you, Chris. This week, it's finals. You have a little bit of a rest break before you get back on the road to take on Oklahoma State. What is this week like as you prepare? Well, we always put schoolwork first. Uh, we're always talking to Tom so we can get our get our work done early, try to take our exams early, get them out of the way, so then we can focus on basketball and uh, prepare for our next two games before a break and uh, have great practices every day and just get ready for the game so we can you know get these two wins before we go on break and get some momentum going to the next games and conference play. Time now for a Gator Tales Trivia Challenge. Our next podcast will be a full Buffalo Wild Wings Citrus Bowl preview, but we thought we would at least give you a primer before that comes your way in a couple weeks. The question is, who was Florida's opponent the last time they played in the Citrus Bowl? Email your answers to gatorspodcast at gmail.com or tweet at gatorspodcast, and one randomly selected winner will win a $25 gift card to the online Gator Sports Shop. Last week, we asked you what two top-ranked teams had men's basketball defeated in their history. The answer, surprisingly, did not include Kentucky. Florida's NCAA tournament wins over Duke in 2000 and Ohio State in 2007 are their only two wins against top-ranked opponents, and last week's loss to Michigan State was their first loss to a number-one team that wasn't Kentucky. Moving on, when you go toe-to-toe on the road with talented teams like Miami and Michigan State, you'll no doubt learn more about yourself in the process. As the Gators look for signs of growth from the week on the whole, FloridaGators.com's senior writer Chris Harry insists there were clear indications of improvement from game to game. Well, I think what it learned in the trip to Miami, Adam, was what it put on the court four days later in the trip to Michigan State. I mean, Mike White was really disappointed with the energy and the competitiveness they rolled out down in Coral Gables against a team like Miami, a really, really good team, a team that will have a chance to really beat some good teams in the ACC. Didn't compete, thought they got killed on the offensive glass, uh, thought Miami played harder. That was the message in the run-up to go to East Lansing, play the number one team in the country. And we talked about it last week, the Spartans are as good as any team in the country and Denzel Valentine national player year candidate and sure enough Florida goes in there and shows that passion shows that energy shows that fighting competitiveness got out rebounded and yet it's 58-52 is the final score they twice had the lead in the last nine minutes defensively they held Michigan State to its lowest shooting percentage of the season by 15 points its lowest point total of the season so those are things I take away from that having said all that they lost both the games and everything flips around and goes back to this lack of production 
when it comes to shooting the basketball. It's getting to the point now, I mean, some of this perimeter shooting is unsustainable. Uh, these guys have to start making shots. And I said the other day, I watched Brandon Francis. He went 0 for 7 against Michigan State. I watched him in the shoot-around at Breslin Center the morning of the game make 25 of 30 three-point shots. Twice he made 10 in a row. So it's mental now with these guys. Uh, Kayvon Allen is, other than Dorian Finney-Smith, he's the best scorer on the team. Guy can go get his own shot. He had a sequence where he split two defenders on the break and got to the rim and just couldn't decide whether to lay it up or dunk it. Dunk the ball. And instead, he missed a six-inch shot. And having said all that, you go out in a game and you shoot 38% from the floor, 21% from three-point range, and 53% from the free throw line, you're not going to beat Michigan State, and yet they were in position to beat Michigan State because of their ability to defend. One of the bright spots in the Michigan State game was Chris Chioza, especially the second half. You talked about Florida not making shots, then Chioza stepped up and and he made some and and really showed a grit and a tenacity that I think people really responded to. Yeah, and and, and that's something that we've seen from him somewhat, but uh, I think what's important of his whole situation is that Casey Hill did not play well at Miami. Casey Hill went to coach Mike White after that Miami game, one for seven, one assist, and said, I just don't think I'm playing well enough right now to, to be in the starting lineup. Let's give Chioza a chance. Chioza didn't do a whole lot in the first half. The Gators are in the game in the first half. But sure enough, in that second half, three straight possessions, three straight three-pointers, gave them that lift from the perimeter that they've been missing, got them right back in the game, helped get them the lead. And that's something we're going to see, obviously, as the season progresses. I think toward the end of the game, Casey Hill and Chioza were playing a lot together in the backcourt. So that's something that Mike White has to experiment with a little bit. Uh, right now, it looks like he's their best three-point shooter from the perimeter, but I go back to the fact that I've seen Brandon Francis shoot. I've seen Kayvon Allen shoot. These guys are better than that. Chioza in the interim is kind of like the Band-Aid, and nobody expects him to kind of be that three-point guy, but he's really expanded his game since last year when he was a freshman that nobody really had a whole lot of knowledge about when he got here. But this is a kid from Memphis, Tennessee. That's a tough place to play basketball, and you better believe that he's got a little, like you said, a little bit of grit to him and kind of showed it up uh, in as tough a place as there was to play in the country. This is sort of a challenging week for coaches, for players. You have finals. There's a lot going on outside of basketball. So what is this week like for the team, and how does it differ from a normal schedule? Well, like you said, they, they had, uh, with, with finals and all, you got you to gotta work around that. I think there was a practice scheduled uh, uh, earlier in the week that they had to change because they realized that a guy had a final that they didn't know how to final. But they split up practice. They have individual instructions. Some of them have it in the morning. Some of them have it in the afternoon. It's kind of like a makeshift kind of practice, but it's a 30 minutes to an hour, however one to go, of, of individual skills. Then they'll do, they obviously have separate groups for weightlifting. So they do work around that schedule. And ultimately, by the end of the week, they'll get it all together, have everything done, and get ready for that bus trip down to Miami. This has proved to be a very deep team. We see a lot of guys come off the bench and get minutes. And one guy we haven't seen in a while is Alex Murphy. Got hurt in the preseason, and now it looks like he might be ready to come back. Yeah, he got a plantar fasciitis thing he's been dealing with, and then he kind of tore it in the uh, preseason game against Palm Beach Atlantic. He's been working very hard to try to get back. He's got a good chance to play down against Oklahoma State and Miami. Like you said, it's it's a deep team. Now you're rolling another guy into it. Alex Murphy is, does not have the history of being a great shooter. I believe he's a 21% three-point shooter. He's not Eric Murphy. By any stretch of the imagination, he's nothing like his brother, but he is more athletic than his brother. I think he's a little bit better defender than his brother, and he's a guy who will kind of fits into the system, this up-and-down kind of thing Mike White likes to play. He's worked really hard on his shot. Maybe he'll be the guy whose jump shot starts to fall, maybe get some things going from the outside 
outside, but introducing him into the lineup is going to have an impact on somebody's minutes, and I think it will help uh, with Dorian Finney-Smith, who's averaging almost 30 minutes a game. I think that's a little high for him. He can get tired in the 26-minute range, but when you start picking and choosing two minutes here from Dorian Finney-Smith, maybe a couple minutes uh, from Justin Leon, and we can find a place for Alex Murphy to kind of fit into this rotation. So after a full week off, Florida goes to Sunrise to take on Oklahoma State, a traditionally really strong basketball program. Not elite this year, but obviously still very talented. Yeah, and uh, I think they're a lot like this Florida team in that they're a very good defensive team and they're not a great shooting team, although they did get a really good player, Phil Forte, back from a he tore a ligament, I believe, in the offseason in his elbow. Short little guy who looks a lot like Travis Ford, who has already scored 1,300 points heading into his senior year. He's a guy who can go get some three-point shots, but uh, they lost to George Mason, they lost to Tulsa, they lost to Missouri State, and then they turn around and they beat Minnesota the other day, which is a decent team from the Big Ten in a, a neutral site game up in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But, you know, Florida needs to go to Sunrise and protect what should, in essence, be their home floor. They haven't lost there, I think, since uh, Richmond beat them down there. The storyline of this team, Adam, is going to be what's going on with the offense. And right now, it's beyond a trend. It's like an epidemic. The shooting is a problem right now. But I, I'm like Mike White. I don't believe that it's uncorrectable. He's flat out said a couple of times, we don't have a bunch of good shooters on this team. But we have decent shooters, and that has to start showing up. In um, after the uh, Oklahoma State game, they got Jacksonville at home right before Christmas, and they'll take another mini break, and then it's Florida State before the start of the SEC season on December 29th. So, a couple good measuring stick games, a couple more measuring stick games between now and then. But they got a rebound from the offense from last week. The women's basketball team endured a disappointing season last year, but they've come back stronger and in fine form as they prepare to wrap up their non-conference slate. Since losing their opener at Temple, the Gators have ripped off nine straight wins, including an upset of a then-top-10 Florida State team in the Odome. Ninth-year head coach Amanda Butler has infused this year's team with new talent both on and off the court, and she talked about the excitement that her program is generating with their fast and high-flying offense. Our style is we've always been a team that's kind of wanted to be fast and, and run and play extended defense and, you know, just really a fun brand of basketball. And I think, you know, the biggest impact on on that, obviously, the staff has been tremendous. Um, but the uh, addition, you know, of uh, our, our new players has, has obviously uh, been a great complement to what we had uh, returning and, and enhanced what was already there in terms of the speed, the ability to make plays in the open court, you know, and the staff, I think, has just done a great job of really building the groundwork, you know, or being the springboard, if you will, in practice and individual workouts and individual film sessions that has added to our team's confidence that, you know, they springboard into games with that energy and play that style. The way that this basketball complex is designed, you're so closely tied in to the men's team as well, and they've obviously seen tremendous change this year with the new staff, a lot of new faces. Can you talk about just the whole Gator basketball family, the change that you've gone under this year? Well, you know, it's it's a very um, volatile business in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, it's a dynamic business. It's, it's always changing, and it's one of the awesome things about doing what we do is that you get to meet a lot of great people, and then there's a lot of great people that, um, you know, go out of your life, too, because of different jobs or other circumstances. But I think the energy in this building as a whole is is tremendous. 
we've really enjoyed getting to know Mike and his staff. I've really enjoyed popping over and, and watching their practices and, and learning how they do things. That's always a fun thing to do. There's great cohesion between our two staffs. There's some similarities in styles. It's always fun to compare notes and, and that sort of thing, things that are happening on and, and off the court. But I think on both sides of the hallway, what you have are, are you know two groups of people that are great people that are working really, really hard to put a great product on the floor for Gator Nation who care deeply about their student-athletes and, uh, and also really understand the value of relationships and that whole process. A lot of rule changes this year on the women's side. Now you're almost at the end of the non-conference portion of your season. So as you've seen these take effect, what impact do you feel like they've had on the game? And has it been a positive one? I think the advancement of the ball at the end of the game, you know, that last 59.9 seconds, I think is a great rule change that's added some excitement to the end of games in the same way that it has in the in the NBA and the, in the WNBA. I like the quarters. I like the break within the halves. I think it gives us a chance as a team that plays a lot of people. We sub a lot. We're constantly shuffling lineups. It gives us another kind of natural break in the half to evaluate what we're doing and figure out do we have the best five in the game for this moment. I think the downside to the rule change, though, is we've been shooting a lot more free throws, you know, and, and, and that's in every competition that we've been in, even the preseason scrimmages, there's just a lot of game stoppage for free throws, and those free throws are two at a time instead of the one and one, and, and so I think that certainly you've seen that impact some scoring, but I don't know from a fan's perspective is if it's as pleasing of a game. It's such a tricky balance for coaches during finals week because it's the ultimate time where academics are taking precedence, but you also have have big games you're preparing for. So what is that challenge like for you and your staff as you try and balance those two things? Well, you know, at, at a university like ours, academics is always first. Uh, you know, we, we've always, that's always the number one priority in terms of when we plan our practices, uh, when we're planning our workouts, evaluating the amount of rest our team needs. Uh, you know, that is always driven by academically what they're going through. And, you know, like I said, class schedules. And we have a tremendous challenge this year because we have two young ladies who are in graduate school, very demanding programs. And then you have your underclassmen who kind of have a different look at academics. Their days look a little different than a lot of our upperclassmen. And uh, so we've had a really challenging practice schedule. And I really have to commend our kids on their level of focus through, you know, we've done a little bit of everything from practicing at 6 a.m. in the morning to practicing at 730 at night. And and everybody's been just willing to jump in and do whatever needed to happen to to make the work uh, look the way we needed it to. But this weekend, I, I think for coaches is fun. You know, for the kids, it's maybe a little extra stress. Um, but for coaches, it really gives us, again, kind of a natural break in uh, what we've been doing to evaluate our systems. What else do we need to do to really look and, and comb through um, stats and, you know, not just looking forward as much, but evaluating where we are. Are we doing the right things? Um, Minutes-wise, gives our kids a couple extra days, not only to study, but to rest their bodies. You know, for the people who have little nicks and, and bruises here and there, they're always going to be part of what we're doing. So I think it's a, it's a really necessary week. You're on a nine-game winning streak right now and a lot of people are now starting to notice what your team is doing when you look at that on the whole what ingredients do you think have led to all this early success well I think we've talked about a a couple of them already and you know you just you have to begin and end with the players I I think that we have a group of seniors that are really hungry and you know our theme this year has been want more and I think you know to a large degree they've they've really embodied that theme and aside from our seniors just a group of returners that you know wanted to show what they were capable of 
and have absolutely put in the time and the the sacrifices over the summer and in the in the off season to prepare themselves for the opportunities that thus far they've taken advantage of. And then you look at the new additions. They chose to come here to make an impact, to make a difference, to take us to a, another level. And I think that combination of factors, when you combine that with the energy of the staff, the amount of work that my staff is putting in, and just daily what it feels like to be part of this program, you know, I think all of those things really speak to the culture that we've built and that we're striving to continue to reinforce and fortify, and that we feel like winning's a byproduct of all of those things. So after almost a week off, Sunday, Monday, the Gator Holiday Classic, a long-standing tournament. You've played in it. You've coached in it. What's the importance you place on coming out this weekend and getting some critical wins? Well, you know, you, you have to go one at a time, and that's really hard to do sometimes, um, but we've got to go one at a time. And we can't think about winning a championship before we think about beating St. Francis. That's got to be the first thing on our mind. You know, our, our academic burdens and pressures will be relieved, and so it gives us a great opportunity to just focus on basketball. And, you know, I have great confidence that that's what our team will be focused on. And then secondarily, um, you know, besides just focusing on basketball, wanting to play our best basketball, realizing this is the biggest game that we've played all year long, and every day that we get a chance to improve this week, that we capitalize on that opportunity and that we go into Sunday game, uh, not just hoping for a win, but, but hoping to play our best. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Remember to submit your trivia answers to GatorsPodcast at gmail.com or tweet at GatorsPodcast for your chance to win. And also feel free to contact us using those same outlets to let us know what you think of Gator Tales and what you'd like to hear coming up in the spring. Our next podcast will be available Monday, December 28th, and we'll get you all set for the Citrus Bowl coming up on New Year's Day. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, wishing you and your family a happy holidays from the Gators.